0: All right, 7.15, time to start, and turn to page 21 in your notebooks, if anybody needs a notebook and is not afraid to admit it, we have some here, and we wouldn't make fun of you, of course, so every, every week I call your attention to the size of the crowd, you guys remember the first week, you could barely get a seat. I just have this effect on people as time, time goes on. So uh, the one verse you need to remember, though, is that he that endures to the end shall be saved, okay? <laughs> so just remember that. It's two Wednesdays this semester that we've had weather issues, so that's highly unusual. Hopefully we won't uh, have any, any more. Shouldn't, but March can do, can do anything, so who knows? So we'll see, but we'll try to get through it all uh, in the time we have, and I'm quite certain that we'll be able to. So page uh, 21, we'll get there in just a moment, but I remind you that this chart is the uh, genius of the entire course, and you have that on page 7 in your workbooks, that, that chart. And we are dealing in this course with the bottom half of the chart. The green portion at the top is after someone has come to Christ. You see in the middle the white part where it says repent and trust Jesus. Then after that, it's growth in Christ. And that's another—that's a whole nother book, actually, a whole nother course. Um, they have some of that in here, but we're not at the end, but we're not covering that. So we're dealing with the bottom portion. And that bottom portion, I remind you, in the middle, uh, uh, vertically, in the middle you see at the very bottom it says tilling evangelism and then planting, and then then reaping. And those are the three stages that you go through with somebody. You're tilling, you're planting, you're reaping, and you see the different things that you do in those, in those three. You're challenging a core worldview, uh, you're modeling love before them and praying for them, teaching gospel concepts when you're planting seed, establishing the uniqueness of who Jesus is, and then you're hoping that you've got enough now for the person to... Approach uh, receiving Christ. And so you clarify uh, what you've talked about, any questions that, that they might have. You personalize it, saying this is for you. You need this. And then you seek to persuade to say you should trust, you should trust Christ. That's the reaping part. So it's, it's those three. But as you go ascend upward, starting down at the bottom, you, know, you need to spend enough time to help somebody achieve understanding. And they may be uh, down at the very bottom when you first uh, are talking with them. Um, they simply are, as a human being, born with a God consciousness. We're made in the image of God, and so everyone is aware uh, that they are a creature of a, a creator, but they're born with this God vacuum. We're separated from, from God because of, of sin. Uh, they may be aware of a higher power, and then on it, on it goes. So you may meet somebody who has all of that down and by the time you're talking to them they're at minus six or they're at minus five so you're trying to speak with them and determine where is this person in order to determine what it is I need to further explain for their understanding to move them further up up the scale so your role is in the middle there till plant reap uh, their spiritual responses are over on the far far left, and then all the while, of course, God is active with all of this, and uh, it is God who then is using what you're doing with your tilling and planting uh, to bring it to a point of, of reaping. God gives spiritual life to the person, and you see that blue arrow on the right, God gives General and special revelation. General revelation is what I said about people just by nature, as creatures made in the image of God, they have a God awareness, and so you can appeal to that uh, with them. And then special revelation is God's truth as found in, in Scripture. God provides that, we give that to people, and then as we do that, we ask God to do that next thing going upward, conviction, So that the person sees that this is something I don't have, it's something that I need. And then lastly, God imparts spiritual life. That's what regeneration is. Okay, So I just remind you of that. That's what this is about. And we're trying to determine where somebody is in order to most effectively help them uh, move, move along. So page 21. We left off around here two weeks ago anyway. I know we had discussed the top of page 21, Uh, How our area here in southeast Michigan, you know, what kinds of worldviews are representative uh, and really dominant? And we had a number of answers to that, if you recall. And I gave a handout that goes through a bunch of isms, a bunch of worldviews. So somebody who wasn't here two weeks ago asked me for that, and I gave it to them. If any of you don't have that, I have copies of it up here, so when you leave, if you want one, uh, happy, to, uh, happy to get it to you. But it goes through all of these and gives you an idea of what they believe and how you can address some of what they believe from a biblical standpoint. So then on page 22, page 22, worldview noise and false beliefs that people have. You see the guy with the Bible there, he's trying to communicate truth, but depending on somebody's worldview, they're static between what it is we're trying to get to them and how they understand it. And so spending time and patiently moving them up the uh, vertical scale is how you'll eliminate, reduce this noise between the biblical worldview and and their worldview. So middle of that page, page 22, the greatest worldview noise problem is not what people do not know but the untrue things they believe they know, their false beliefs. So you do with this bottom right hand uh, portion a couple of things. You see it's uh, going across the page 0 to 10. On that scale how clearly and how completely do they understand each of these gospel concepts? So you could go through. We're not going to do that, but you could go through, and I encourage you to do that, and just think about an average person that you know, that you run into, a coworker, neighbor, family member who's not a Christian, and where are they? What's their understanding from 0 to 10 of each of these eight gospel concepts? And then second, identify the common false beliefs Of these people as compared to these eight essential gospel concepts so that would be you know what is their dominant worldview and then use that handout that I gave you to try to determine what they believe about God what do they believe about sin what do they believe about death and all of the eight things that are listed there now I just want to add one thing to those to those eight and that is you see uh, that you start with God humanity, sin, death, Christ, cross, faith, and life. And the one that gets left out very often uh, that I may have mentioned two weeks ago is, is the life of Christ. And so you, you want to make sure you, you put that in there, that, that it is not just the death of Christ, but it is the life of Christ that preceded his death that is of great importance to provide the righteousness that we need in order to have an eternal relationship with God. Okay? Is everybody good so far? Just trying to review with that. So we want to help people then uh, with their worldview. We want to find out where they are in their worldview and and help them then uh, adopt a biblical worldview instead of their false worldview. So top of page 23, you see it says, every rational human possesses a worldview. That is, a perspective through which he or she sees and interprets life. And they also behave more or less consistently with that worldview. So that worldview means view of the world. (laughs) It's the way you see things. It's the lenses through which you look at everything. And, and every rational person has a worldview, even if they've not consciously thought about it. Everybody has one. Everybody operates according to worldview. For example, if people think that it's wrong to kill another human being, that's based on a worldview. That's based on how they see things. They see humanity as somehow special, uh, is sacred. It's, it's not it's not dispensable. Human life is not dispensable for anybody to just uh, do as they please with, with it. That's all based on a worldview. Everything, every value that somebody has is based upon how they, view, how they view the world. So everybody has it. It's not just Christians that have one. It's just that we have a particular worldview that is derived from, from Scripture, but they have one as well. So every rational human possesses a worldview, that perspective through which they see and interpret life, and also behaves more or less consistently with it. A person's worldview includes foundational beliefs that have to be aligned with the essential gospel truths taught in the Bible in order for them to possess genuine saving faith in Jesus. So they've got a worldview when you start interacting with them. You want to determine what that is, so that then you can help them correct errors in their worldview to align it with the worldview of, of the Bible. When a person chooses that next paragraph to trust that has placed their faith in Jesus alone for salvation, he or she has simultaneously made a core worldview change and so abandons the hope that was based upon previous false beliefs. So maybe someone believes that that science is going to save humanity. That's part of their their worldview. Well, when they become a Christian, they they come to realize that it's God who's going to do that. And in particular, it's Christ who who is going to do that. It's not some humanistic mechanism that, if we're going to be saved, that's going to do that. So they abandon that and they replace it with components of, a biblical worldview. Now when somebody does that, when they have a core worldview change and they abandon some previous false belief and they replace it with biblical true belief, there's a word for that in the Bible. It's called repentance. And you see it in that last sentence. This core worldview change is repentance. The Greek word is metanoia. And that's two. That's a combination of two, a compound of two Greek words, nous that means mind, and meta, which means transform or change. And that's why we say repentance is a change of mind. Meta metanoia means a change of mind. So the person has changed their mind, changed the way they think about some core worldview uh, components or multiple worldview components. So, so far in those two paragraphs you've got three very important definitions. You've got a definition in that first paragraph of what a worldview is. Then in the second paragraph, that first line, when a person chooses to see the word there, trust, placed faith in. That's a good way to think about what faith is. I've I've told you that faith in the New Testament is a synonym, it's interchangeable for belief. So there's faith and belief, faith slash belief, but a way to summarize that is is trust. What do you trust in? More specifically, from a Christian standpoint, who do you trust in? And again, Christian worldview, we want them to trust in Christ. And so they, they believe, they place their faith in Christ. So a definition of what a worldview is, a definition of what faith or belief is, it it's, can be summarized as trust, and then a definition of repentance as well, which is a change of a core worldview component. Now before we move on, notice please that repentance is not penance. You guys familiar with the word penance? If you have any Roman Catholic background then you'll be be familiar with penance. So the idea of penance is you sin, you go to the priest in confession, Uh, the priest then, you say, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. You confess your your sin. And then the priest then gives you uh, something to do for penance, to to make up for, to pay for the sin that you, you committed. And so that's that's what penance is. And sometimes people get that that mixed up with repentance. Uh, Repentance is not penance. You're not not making up for it. The truth is, uh, from a godly standpoint, from God's holy standard, you're not going to be able to make up for it. Uh, Only Christ could pay for your sin, all of it. And to think that there's anything you could do to atone in some way uh, for your sin is to devalue what Christ has done on the cross. So it's very important to understand that we don't do penance in order to to pay for our our sin. But a lot of people think that, and it's, it's always involved in works religion. Religion that says you have a relationship with God by virtue of what you do. And so the religion, whatever name is put on it, so I'm not just picking on Roman Catholicism, but that could be any works uh, religion, even with a a Christian name attached to it. I mean, Roman Catholicism is part of the Christian religion broadly considered, but it's works-oriented, very heavily works-oriented. But my Pentecostal church that I grew up in was heavily works-oriented as well. And so there are lots, there are lots of them. Biblical Christianity is not based upon works. It's based upon, not on your works. It's based upon the work of Christ who has taken care of your sin, past, present, and future on the cross and in his righteous life. That's why I emphasize the life piece. He has given you the righteous standing that's required in order for us to have a relationship with God. You can't achieve any of that yourself. Christ did it for you. That's the beauty of, of grace. So those are three important definitions. And then, top of the right side of that page, worldview noise, here's a fourth definition then, is the effect of the unbiblical elements in an unbeliever's world, worldview belief system that one, confuses understanding of these essential gospel truths and or that predispose them to reject the gospel. And so early in the process of personal evangelism, it's important to know what the person to whom you are witnessing believes about the core issues of life. So how do we do do that? We're going to talk about that next then. Now before we do, in your workbook, remember I told you that there are some pages toward the back that that start with the letter S, there's a bunch of them, so S-1,s-2, and so on. So if you go to the S section, and there's S6, and S6 through 12 is actually a pretty good, pretty helpful. Yeah, so you guys see you there? you guys see it? It's almost to the very back. And down at the bottom, instead of a page 58 or 59, it says S-1. All right, S-6. And at the top of S-6, it says, what must I really do to be saved? <laughs> and this goes on for seven pages to S-12. Now, we're not going to, to take time to go through that, but I point it out to you because it's actually pretty well done. Uh, and so it's worth your reading, if you have time, for you to understand you know, what, what it is we're trying to get somebody to do when they trust Christ. Uh, and there's lots of terminology that people use to do that. Accept Jesus. Ask Jesus into your heart. There's all kinds of ways that, that we state this. So those seven pages are pretty comprehensive and they're, and they're pretty good. So I recommend them to you uh, for you to read because you do want to be careful about how you say to someone what it is you want them to do when you get to the reaping portion and you're persuading them that, hey, you should really trust Christ. Trusting Christ, is a good, that's a good word to use. Um, but be careful. Like, uh, like little kids, If you're talking to a child, they can be very literal. And if you say, ask Jesus into your heart. So this is a true story. Before we had children, uh, we used to have, Kim used to have her nieces spend the night with us sometimes. So we had her niece, Katie, over. Katie was like three or four. Katie couldn't sleep, so she got into bed with us. Since Katie couldn't sleep, we couldn't sleep either and uh, Katie's just in between us, and she's just going 100 miles an hour. And I said, Katie, did you know you're a little chatterbox? And she said, my mom's a chatterbox. (laughs) That would be Kim's sister, and she's right about that too. (laughs) But then she just out of nowhere says, and she always did that little smack of the lips too. How does Jesus come into your heart? And then she says, you know what I think? I think he makes himself, and she did this with her hands, real little. <laughs> and he comes inside you. And of course, I still remember that, and we crack up about it. But that's the way a kid thinks, right? And so if you say, ask Jesus into your heart, and you say that to a child, the child is very literal about that. So you want to you be careful to eliminate all kinds of worldview noise, including that. So those seven pages in the supplement section are, are helpful. All right, back to page 23 then. So in order to get at the person's worldview and eliminate then as much worldview noise as we can, we want to peel the the onion. And the folks that put this material together tell me that I'm supposed to run a Shrek video, I think. (laughs) But I don't know. Can I run it? You do? Yeah. Do you know how to run it? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> I know it was part of the movie. <laughs> do. All right. Yeah, I might not be able to do it. Let me see. Let me see. How's the thing go? Huh. Well. Nope. I don't know. I don't know how it operates. Say what? Maybe click it. Yeah, I'm clicking away. Nothing's nothing's happened. I'm I'm clicking and praying, and nothing's working here. I'm gonna lay I'm gonna lay hands on it here in a minute, which means I'm gonna I'm gonna get violent. Is that in an app? Say what? Is that in an app? Hey, leave me alone. Leave me alone. No, don't don't touch it. Don't touch it. Okay, we'll get the Shrek video some other time. All right. So here you go. Bottom of page twenty three bottom of page 23 so peeling the worldview onion and we're gonna start at the bottom notice it's number one is down at the bottom and notice where number one goes you see how the line goes right to the center the core of the onion and so that's what number one is it is core beliefs that the person has core beliefs, and these are, you see it, the, the bullet points right underneath it, initially influenced by culture, changed through crisis and or confrontation. So somebody's committed to these core beliefs, You know, they acquired them from their upbringing. They acquired them from their education. They acquired them from uh, their experiences. They've come to believe them as part of their core worldview. But uh, something happens that causes them to to be shaken in that. Sometimes it's a crisis that occurs. Uh, You know, they're in the hospital. They're going to die. So you hear of deathbed con- confessions, right? Because the person's got a crisis. Wait a minute, this whole thing I believed and I haven't really paid. Any- all of a sudden, I'm, I'm thinking about God in ways I wasn't before. Or having a child. I mean, crisis might not be the right word for that. but <laughs> <laughs> But it is amazing how many times when somebody has a child that all of a sudden they're going, huh, maybe I need to think about what life's about. I've got to tell this child something sometimes it's the child who says hey where did God come from and the parent goes I, uh, ask your mom <laughs> ask your dad right they haven't, they haven't been thinking about themselves they haven't been you know instructing the child in in uh, religion haven't been taking them to church and all of a sudden they think boy I need to do this what am i going to tell this child about life right so that's a, that's, a very, that's a very good thing. And that's a, a form of something has changed or the confrontation. The confrontation is, that sounds like a hostile word, confrontations can be friendly confrontations. But it's you getting to know them, but you're challenging their, their worldview. And so there's a confrontation between their false belief and, and the truth. But in order for them to repent and in order for them to trust Christ, there's going to need to be a change of the the core beliefs. So we want to get to that core. But outside of the core is a bunch of other stuff. So number, I already said that, number two is internalized values. So these are the things that are important to the person based upon those core beliefs. I mentioned that, you know, it's, it's, it's of value to a person that human life might be of, of value. But if somebody doesn't have a biblical worldview, and they're just sort of making it up, then some human life might be valuable. But maybe not all human life, right? So life in the womb may not be valuable. So we may believe it's okay as part of our worldview, core beliefs, because my core beliefs are, yeah, human life is valuable, but, but there are times where what's more valuable is my freedom. And so choice is more, free, is more important than life at certain points. But that's part of their core belief, which issues then in these internalized values that the person has. And so they make choices based on that, choices about how they're going to vote, choices about advocacy, what they're going to to say, what they're going to read, what they're going to advocate for, and how they're going to act, behavioral patterns. So all of this is, you know, the idea is you should see that behavior is external, actions, but that's all based on internal stuff that's going on. That's all based on choices which are built on values which are built on on core beliefs. So, if that's all true, and it is, then we don't want to see someone simply change their behavior, do we? Isn't it, is it true that you could have someone change behavioral patterns without actually changing the root of what gave rise to those behavioral patterns? So if, you're, if, you, are a, if you are in a works-oriented system, you can get people to do what they're supposed to do by scaring them If you don't, you're going to go to hell if you don't do X. but see, we're not interested in the person just acting right. We want the person to believe right. We want the person to have an inward core change. That's what we're trying to get to. That then issues forth in a change in external behavior. So we don't start with behavioral change. And I would suggest to you parents that you do that with your kids. That you don't, you're do not you not simply trying to get them to conform outwardly. I see lots of parents manipulate and bribe their kids to get them to do what they want them to do. Because the objective is just to get them to do the right thing. But see, that's not the objective. The objective is to have them believe the right thing about God, about themselves, about you as an authority in their a god-given authority in their lives so that all of that then comes out in the way they behave. And that's true for anybody not just of course children. And then with all of that on the very outside of the onion are these human commonalities. And you see all the bullets there with weather, health, hobbies, world events, local interests education, family, travel, work, and, and on the list goes. So, we want to get to the core, but outside the core are values on which are based choices, from which come behavioral patterns. But outside of all of that are just the fact that we are human beings and we live at the same time and in the same place. And so we have some things in common. Now, this internal stuff, certainly at the core, as a Christian and non-Christian, you don't have that in common. Those are radically different. That's what we're trying to change. But on the outside, superficially, there are just these things that we experience and we go through because we live at the same time and at the same place. So what, just looking then now at that, at the onion and the peeling of the uh, onion. You've got the outside. What, is, what does that suggest to you then about interacting with someone, with the hope and prayer of being able to be God's tool to see them eventually come to Christ? That whole thing, starting with the outside, what does that tell you that you've got weather, health, hobbies, all of that? Practically. Well, you've always got something to talk about, right? You've always got things in common. So as you, try to, as you try to establish a relationship with someone, start with the stuff you have in common. So generally speaking, you don't start with the core beliefs. Hey, did you know you are messed up? <laughs> Rotten to the core, as a matter of fact. <laughs> yeah, don't don't start there. You know, we just had an ice storm, and you go into work, and everybody else experienced the ice storm too. So you know what? How'd it go for you? Did you guys lose power? What happened? You know, and you just and you, you take interest in these common things that are going on, are common amongst uh, amongst all of all of you. So local things that are going going on, uh, family issues. You know, we all have family. We all have uh, we all have bills to pay. We all have burdens. We all have all kinds of things like that. Um, so take advantage of that because from a human to human level, that's where you start connecting with somebody. Now, if you uh, if you are a Christian, but a weird Christian, like just a Christian who believes that your Christianity is enhanced by your weirdness, then this is going to be hard for you to do. (laughs) Okay, Do you guys know what I mean when I say Christians who think their Christianity is enhanced by their weirdness? There are people like that. You know, the more I get around people and I talk in ways that nobody else talks, the more I show that I'm a real Christian. So you don't need to come into a situation where people don't know Christ, people don't know anything about the Bible, they may never talk about God, they may never even think consciously about God, and then come in and just start talking in all kinds of Christian ease. What you will, in effect, do is scare people to death. And you will also run them off. because, oh yeah, you're the religious nut in the company. And that's how you'll be identified. And you won't be able to have this relationship to Lord Willing over time, be able to uh, be able to move from the outside outside in. So let me give you. Yeah, turn to page 24. So why do we peel the onion? Why do we peel worldview onions? First, what's the the major objective of of doing this? And here's, here's the major objective. You're trying to determine where they are on that evangelism and discipleship scale. I mean, that's the reason you're peeling this, trying to peel this back over time. And that is that page uh, 7 chart that we went over. Okay, So you're trying to determine where they are. That's why we do this. That's our major objective. What should you avoid, top of page 24, in this process? You should avoid offensively attacking their worldview. You should avoid unnecessary, unnecessary tense argumentation. So avoid attacking, avoid arguing. That's not what you're trying to do. You're trying to befriend. And you start with, we're both humans, we both live in a fallen world, we both experience life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and so we, we start there. And hopefully over time they get the idea that you're a regular person. And they start to enjoy conversation with you. You're not assaulting them. You're not arguing with them. You're not attacking them. But you're asking for God to open doors for that to go deeper. Things to happen that will come up that you can now take another step beyond the outside of the onion that then show, hey, I've got a deeper core. And you just tell them what that core is. And then they see, without you even saying it, that it's different than theirs. So ice storm. You know. So at the ice storm, my power was out for five days. By the way, mine was not out uh, at all. There's a rumor going around the church that I lost my power. I've had. <laughs> I know. I've had several people say to me, "Hey, did you get your power back?" I go, "I never lost the power." <laughs> I did say we lost internet. We did lose the internet, but we had electricity the whole time. But we got people in our churches. I mean, we got Pete and Betty Belich. Many many of you know them. Pete and Betty had an electrical surge go through their house. Mm-hmm. And so they're in a hotel, and it's going to take months for this thing to get all, all squared away. And we had people for days, and some of you may have had several days without without power. All right, you go back to work. You know, so how'd that go? Wow, what about that that ice storm? You know, were we without power? or And and, and were you scared? You know? Um or you know something more traumatic happens and in the community and you talk about it and that might be an open door for you, for you to just say you know what our family got together we just you know we're down in the basement there's a tornado warning and we just prayed and god gave us peace about it and you just say that and that's not being the you know that, the crazy religious person that's because the door was open because of some commonality that happened to both of you. There was a tornado warning over the, over the weekend. And then you just slip in. This is how we, how we handled that. And then that person's thinking, man, I don't, have, I don't have that. I don't have that kind of peace. Or at least that's what you hope they're thinking. So it's, it's that kind of an approach. You're not attacking. You're not arguing. Look at page 24, the first uh, and, and second. So, first, first, second, third, first thing you're trying to do is have these entry conversations, human commonality topics. Look for entry points into deeper worldview layers. So, you know, the entry points are all just the weather, the hobbies, you know, all that sort of stuff. But then you're hoping that you can take it deeper, issues involving personal pain or or crisis. So, having uh, having sp- talked about conversed about the things you have in common you know now other things come up and the person's got a diagnosis and so you get a chance to say something about about that personal pain or or crisis sources of enjoyment or or personal significance religious expressions or symbols so you know maybe you have got a Bible on your desk and you know you get a chance to say you know I read I read it every day and it Uh, It really really helps me to see uh, the things that happen in my life from a perspective that's not just confined to what's going on here, what's confined to what the news is saying, confined to all the bad news that's going on, you know, whatever. Overt statements of belief, values, value-driven choices, you know, that might come up because in a political environment, you know, I mentioned life in the womb, something like that might come up. And you're not trying to be offensive. You just say, you know, I think life came from God. And I think it starts at conception. And I think it needs to be protected. And that's a statement like that. A belief, values. Or people observe behavioral patterns that reflect your your values and beliefs. And sometimes they will ask about those. 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. Peter says that, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within you to everyone who asks. Well, why would someone ask about the hope within you? Well, only because they're seeing something different in you. And they go, what's up with you? You know, why is it you don't get rattled like everybody else at the company? You know, there are layoffs going around. There are buyouts. And you seem calm. How is that? Hey, I can't control it. I believe God controls everything. God's got this, you know. You just you say that. That's different than than what they than what they believe. So there are those entry conversations that can move that can move further. Second are investigative questions. So you're probing politely to discover core beliefs. So in the other one, it's just stuff that's happening in life. And then you take advantage of the opportunity to to go deeper from time to time. But here, so and so in a sense, those are more passive, the first ones. But the second ones here, these investigative questions, you're more active. You're probing to discover core beliefs. And you can do that more deeply as trust is built. You do it without being judgmental or argumentative. so so hey, if you, have we ever talked about uh, how you think the world you know, came into existence or, or, or whether you believe in God? or Have we ever talked about that? Like, No, this is after trust is built. And so you're probing to see, see what they think. You back off if there's an overly oppositional issue that, that comes up that can get in the way of your relationship unnecessarily. So have you ever thought about how the world got here? How did this world get into such a mess? What do you think happens when a person dies? Have you ever read the Bible? What do you think about the Bible? Those are investigative questions. And then, Lord willing, over time you get a chance to get to conversion discussions. The conversion of core beliefs generally occurs during the presentation of the gospel as the weaknesses in an unbeliever's worldview are exposed to the appealing exposed to the appealing truths of God's, God's Word. And so at that point now, you're talking the, the gospel to them. Hey, this is, this is life. This is real life. There is a God, and He made you. And you're responsible. We're all responsible to Him. We've all failed in that responsibility. It's called sin. Thankfully, God has made a way for us to have a relationship with Him despite the fact that we've all left Him. That way is through a person Jesus Christ, and what He's done for us. God came to earth as a man to do for you what you couldn't do for yourself. He lived the life that you were supposed to live. He died the death that you deserve and I deserve. And as a result of that, everyone who trusts in Him, trusts in who He is and what He did, that He's God and that He lived and died for us, everyone who does that, now God offers a relationship with him, a restored relationship. The Bible even uses the term adoption. You're brought into his family. And now that's why Jesus said, pray like this, our Father. And a lot of people are familiar with that. Even if they're not familiar with the Bible, they're familiar with our Father. I mean, they know when they were a kid, you know, the priest told them, you have to say five our fathers <laughs> for penance, <laughs> okay? Our Father, because we're in the, in the family of God. And it means, according to the Bible, that that relationship will never change. That you will have it forever for eternal life. So the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, praise God to be able to get to a chance to do that, say that to to somebody. But starting from the outside and you're, you're moving in. Okay? Now, you see at the bottom there, it says each person receives a card that names and describes a worldview to role-play. But do you guys remember what I think about role-playing and games? All right, so we're skipping all, all of that. I found that trick clip on YouTube. You did? <laughs> but Well, thank you. Yeah, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get Pastor Larry. Pastor Larry is uh, affectionately known as Pastor Geek here at our church, and I'm going to get Pastor Geek to get it for us for next week. We'll see the Shrek. Thank you, though. So here's uh, what you know, the Bible says. Uh, Pray for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Paul, who wrote this, is in jail at the time he writes it. That's why he says an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And so, you know, we we pray that the Lord will open doors for us to be able to take those commonalities and move them into deeper conversations and then to have the courage to walk into those doors that the the Lord opens for us. Here's Colossians 4. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I will proclaim it clearly as I should. Notice, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. That be wise in the way you act toward outsiders is why I say don't feel like you have to be the weird weird Christian. Be wise in the way you're perceived by other people. You don't want unnecessary things to get in the way of your relationship so that the door is closed for you to ever have influence on, on this person. And, and I would say that think about that for all kinds of stuff, guys and gals. Uh, think about that on social media and what you put out on social media. Think about that in terms of what you put out with regard to politics for the world to see. And you know who and what it is you support And how that's going to be interpreted by people who are not Christians. You know, so I've, (laughs) those of you that have been here know that over the last few years I've tried to get that across. Just stop doing that, okay? Stop putting stuff uh, unnecessarily out in front of our relationship with the people, the very people we're trying to reach. You know, a lot of people today think Christians don't like them because of the culture wars. You're on the wrong side of the culture war. You are they. You are them. There's us and there's you. And we don't like you. And we don't like what you've done to our country. And we're taking our country back. And if we have to take it back by force, we'll take it back by force. Got that? But I mean, Jesus loves you. (laughs) Right? I mean, this is what's happening. So be careful. Just look at the way Christians are being perceived today. And we're being perceived that way. So be wise. The Bible says be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Okay? Make the most of every opportunity and let your conversation be always full of grace. Seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. The culture wars know nothing about a passage like that. And conversation that's full of grace. It's full of hostility. And us and and them. All right. Take a look at page 25. So building redemptive relationships. You start with, at the top there, personal preparation. You see the folded hand, the praying hands there, so you pray. You know, Lord, help me to be alert. Help me to live in a way that's consistent with what you say in your word. Help me to be a friend to the people that you bring into my path. Help me to be a good coworker, good neighbor. Show the character of Christ in the way I talk, in the way I act. Help me to do that. And to be alert to the opportunities that you present. So you prepare, you pray. And then you initiate number two on the right there. That's number two, you initiate conversation. But how do you initiate a conversation? You got the outside of the onion, you got the commonalities, right? So it's not generally that you're confronting somebody cold but rather you're trying to build a relationship. One human being to another. Talk about the stuff we have in common. Then at the bottom there, number three, invest relationally. You know, so it starts with, with conversation about just the stuff we, we have in common. You know, Maybe you go out to lunch together, maybe you go out to coffee, maybe you invite them over, but you're trying to deepen the relationship. Show them that you love them. And remember I said several weeks ago, let's suppose this person never comes to Jesus. You still love them. They're still a human being made in the image of God. They're not a scalp for you to, you know, say, I got another one. You know, you're not trying to keep tally. You're simply trying to be used of the Lord where he's, where he's placed you. And so you love them, you genuinely love them, and you'll love them as long as God gives you the relationship. And then you proclaim, fourthly, on the left, patiently. The patiently part is, you know, I'm looking for these entry points. I'm you know, putting it out there, praying that the Lord will move it deeper, cause them to have further questions that I can, try to, I can try to answer. So these are, you see at the top, it says building redemptive relationships. So they're relationships for the purpose of God, we ask you to bring redemption, uh, to bring the payment. That's what redemption means. The payment that Christ made for this person to them personally. Redemptive relationships. So, or you could call these grace and truth relationships. Grace and truth relationships because you are trying to show the grace of God to them in the way you live before them, in the way you treat them. And you're trying to give truth. So you're not just giving truth and you're not just showing grace. You're doing both. Do you guys remember what the Bible says about Jesus? That he was full of grace and truth. And he wasn't 50% grace, 50% truth. Jesus was 100% grace and 100% truth. And that's what we want to, that's what we by God's grace want to be. So, uh, John 1, John 1. And you can just jot it down if you want, and I'll uh, read it. But here's John 1, and that's where Jesus is said to be full of grace and truth. John one fourteen For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. All right, now let's just take a few minutes to just go, that's just five verses. And let's just take those five verses and think about how many things are in those five verses that somebody who's not familiar with the Bible would have no clue what we just said. So, the Word became flesh. Hey, what's this Word thing you're talking about? Right? Now, some of you, that's verse 14. Some of you know that if you go back to verse 1 of John chapter 1, it starts with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with... All right, but already we got, all right, what is that? The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. What's that? Right? the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. There's a bunch of terms here that require some, some definition. And then John testifies concerning him. Well, who's John? So you're just you know, reading the first chapter out of one of the Gospels in the New Testament, and immediately the person's confronted with a bunch of stuff they don't know. So this came uh, home to me, years ago, a few decades ago, when I was teaching at a Bible Institute in Brighton, Michigan. And I was teaching a class on apologetics. Some of you know that that is uh, a class on how to defend the faith. And so I'm teaching this class, and two of the people in that class were people who had just recently became Christians, but they, for whatever reason, are taking this apologetics class. And I'm about six weeks into this class, and I'm saying, so Paul says here, and then I read some passage from one of the books that Paul wrote. And the guy raises his hand and says, who's Paul? And I I just, I had never considered that there would ever be anybody in a class that I was teaching who didn't know who Paul was, which is actually really sad. Because what that means is up until that point, the only people I had ever taught were people who were already Christians and immersed in the Bible. Which means the churches that I was in were not reaching people who didn't know these things. So it was a real indictment when this guy says, who is Paul? And so most of the time now, I try, when I preach and teach, I don't say things like, the Old Testament or the New Testament. Maybe some of you guys have noticed. I'll say in the first part of your Bible, it says. Or I normally don't say Paul says or Moses says or David says. Because I know there's people out there that are going to go, who's, who is David? Who's Moses? who's I mean, they just don't know. So I just try to avoid anything unnecessarily. It's going to throw that person for a loop. And then their mind is spinning out over here while I'm trying to, be over here right but I'm just telling you that to say that is part of the barrier that we're, we're faced with and we need a way to overcome that barrier now for several weeks going forward in this class we're going to go through material that's designed to help us do that start at the beginning so that this person would end up knowing who John is And they would know something about the fact that the Bible predicted that there's going to be this one who comes. And then you come to the New Testament and he's come and all of that. But you start at the beginning and you you move forward. So we're going to see how that happens. Look at page 26, if you would. But all of what we're trying to do here is find out where somebody is, and fill in the gaps to help them get to where they need to go. So eliminating the worldview noise and then seeing what it it is they don't understand about the gospel. So page 26, see at the top it says gospel knowledge deficiencies, how culture, host culture worldview. What gospel-related knowledge do people not possess at each of these three major stages? Now what are the three major stages? Look at the right hand, right side of the page those are the tilling the planting and the evangelism and so first think of people who are at minus four so you see the reaping portion there and then to the left of it you got those four uh, rectangular boxes minus one through minus four so if somebody's at minus four they understand some gospel concepts so, they understand some gospel concepts. What don't they understand at that level? They understand some gospel concepts. So, it may help you to remember what the eight uh, gospel, essential gospel concepts are. And those are I'll, give, I'll remind you God, man, sin, death. God, man, sin, death. Christ, cross, faith, and life. So God, man, sin, death, Christ, cross, faith, life. We saw those again first thing tonight, page 21, I think it was. Okay? All right, so you got those eight essentials. I inserted Christ's life in there too. So now think about the person who is at minus four, they understand some gospel concepts but they still need to do these other things. They still need to sense personal spiritual conviction, be confronted with a faith response, counts the cost of a faith response. They still need to do all of that. So if they're at this point, then what is it they still don't understand out of those eight things? I'm asking. They still need to have conviction. they still need to be confronted with a faith response they need to count the cost of making that faith response so you got those eight things of those eight what don't they understand yet okay they definitely don't understand the eight life and then there is the one before life is what all right, let me do it again. God, man, sin, <laughs> death, Christ, cross, faith, we were, we life. Okay. So is it, it? I know it gets confusing. We got minus numbers. I'm giving you eight essentials. We're to, you know it's eight fifteen. You're tired. Okay. You're ticked because we couldn't show the Shrek video. You know. <laughs> and then I'm giving you all this. All right, but. But certainly faith and life, the last two, they still don't, they still don't have. Okay? And then we will go to the others and see what is it that they don't have at that point. And the whole point of all of this, again, is to see where somebody is, see what needs to be filled in, so that we know how to, uh, how to be used as God's instrument in moving them to the next step. Okay? We'll pick up there next week if there isn't a nice storm or something like that. Thanks.